friends. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, the Mr. Robot Recap Show brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Devlin. And I'm Erin. It's been a little while since we've recorded. What have you been up to? Yeah, uh, the last time we recorded, uh, we were in Hamilton for Supercrawl, that annual uh, arts and music and crafts festival that happens in Hamilton, which I might have just said we were in Hamilton. But anyway, we are once again in Hamilton. We're at our producer Dave's place, and there are some pretty awesome guest cats here that I think might make a cameo in this episode or a subsequent one. Uh, excellent. I like, um, he's got like a, an excellent cat to square footage ratio here, so this is pretty <laughs> sweet. I've got now like goals, a new goal in my life to get there. So, uh, Devlin, uh, what are you listening to right now? I kind of go through phases where I listen to all of um, Kimia Dawson's albums on repeat. As I sit and listen to a kid you clearly influenced, I text and say I'm glad that you're my friend. Then leave another perfect time show feeling inspired and powerful to go through corporate future in my head. And as I count the ways that I said fuck you to the man, I don't care if things that I've sold out or not. Since going barefoot I feel better and Regina fucking Spectre is a name I'll never be ashamed to drop. I saw that little weirdo walk into the open mic, sit down shyly at the piano and then start. Singing songs with Starman and knowing silly sad and so mind blowing they were so here we are, we are in season two, episode five, and in maybe kind of a twist for this show, this episode actually picks up right where the last <laughs> episode left off. Yeah, and Mr. Robot, I guess that's a bit of a rare occasion. Yeah, very linear here. So we saw at the end that Elliot has decided to enter into this engagement with Ray in order to talk to Darlene, and this is a really nice scene for Elliot because he's helping her hack the FBI. That's so uh, anxiety inducing because he's doing this while he's kind of um, under the supervision of Ray and um, his henchmen because he's also trying to um, migrate his site at the same time. I really like this scene for Elliot because we see a lot of Elliot kind of being like broken down and Elliot under stress but he seems so competent and so exhilarated when uh, he's yeah. doing this hack. It's a bit of an exhilarating scene actually because there's so much um, like, all of the technology he uses here, or at least, like, most of it, is really um, technologically sound. Like, he installs Tor correctly, he sets up an Nginx web server, and he's writing some Ruby code that I think um, means he's using the, the Metasploit exploit framework. I don't know if that's actually what he's using, though. But I just thought it was really cool that they kind of showcased a lot of cool technology here. I like that one of the prompts he types in is the gentleman, which is actually what I call my cats. <laughs> that is pretty hilarious. But he hits a snag here because he needs the old IT guy to actually finish the job. Yeah, this I don't really know how much sense this made, but um, basically the server has an encrypted database on it. So he's not able to move over that database to the new host without having a password. But in any case, this means that we need to go chase down um, RJ, RT? Yeah, and part of me wonders though if this is part of Elliot hacking people where it's like seeing the old IT guy is going to give him an awful lot more information than just getting a password, because he kind of knows this is not going anywhere good, right? Yeah, no kidding. And it also, I suppose, buys him a little more time to pull out this attack on the FBI. Uh, so we got back to Dom. She is doing some investigation at uh, Steel Mountain, which is it's now called Steel Valley. It seems like there's a bit of symbolism there, going from uh, the tall point of a mountain to the low point of a valley. I'm not sure if that's deliberate. I, I think that's a real fall from grace there. <laughs> but I think everything in the show is deliberate too, because at first I, I thought, like, what a stupid name. <laughs> but the symbolism, I think, is valuable. And so Dom is there because um, she has uncovered the climate control hack. 
one thing I think is really cool here is that um, as she's kind of taking the Raspberry Pi out of the climate control system, she, she seems to be really impressed by how this hack um, was pulled off. And it reminded me of when in the pilot, when um, E Corp was hacked, Elliot saw the attack and he thought it was really awesome too. So I, thought, I kind of thought there was a bit of a parallel between the two characters here. Oh, interesting. So there are a lot of short scenes in this episode where we're kind of cutting back and forth. But the next thing we see is Darlene, who's at Angela's house. And they haven't seen each other in about five weeks. And then she just suddenly shows up in their apartment, as she often does. I know. I like Darlene's uh, weird cat burglar <laughs> lifestyle. Uh, but probably the people around her do not. Um, Darlene is there to tell Angela she knows what she's done. So she understands her role, and she says that it's Angela's time to help Elliot now. I, I think the the main uh, point here that moves the plot forward in this episode is that Darlene says to Angela she has a small device that she needs Angela to drop off on the FBI-protected floor of the E-Corp offices. And so that's her new mission, and it does look like Angela accepts that. It seems like a kind of simple task, but you don't really know what the ramifications of that are going to be just yet. Uh, once again, we've got a bit of um, a short scene. This one has Joanna meeting the parking lot attendant, Kareem. Yeah. They're meeting at a cafe or a diner. Which she says isn't their usual meeting place, because I've actually, for the life of me, can't imagine Joanna Wellick in a diner. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Do they have pickles on little forks there? Uh, don't remind me of that. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> this scene, I, I don't think it's like a direct reference, but it really reminded me of the character Lydia from Breaking Bad, because there are a few scenes where she meets Walter White in a cafe, and she comes in wearing these like really big glasses, and she's kind of um, like paranoid about her surroundings in a way that makes them seem very conspicuous, because Kareem, throughout the scene, he's kind of staring at the door the entire time. He seems a little paranoid. He seems very paranoid because he's there because he thinks his phone is tapped, he thinks he's under surveillance, and he wants out of the whole thing, he wants to quit. Yeah, and I think it's unfortunate that I'm forgetting the name of the actress here, but I think that she does a very good job in this scene because as Kareem is explaining to her that, she, that he, um, he kind of thinks the situation is too dangerous and he wants out of it as soon as possible, she kind of has like a look of, of resignation in her eyes, and I think that's because, as she was previously saying to Mr. Sutherland, she doesn't really consider violence to be an option, but I think that now she's kind of realizing that it's actually a necessity, and she's resigned to that fact. I think the actor is uh, Stephanie Corneliuson, uh, is oh, the name. Good memory. And I have to say, she's got she's the most amazing face actor in this whole show because her micro expressions are so very very telling about the motivations and the backstory of all of these things. So this is this is a great scene for like such a short snippet. So moving back now into the Dom storyline. So Dom has left Steel Valley. She's back. She's got that lollipop again. Yeah, I, I don't really like that myself. It's this weird affectation that I'm glad they phase out. I don't know exactly when. I'm sure I'll notice exactly when she doesn't have it anymore. <laughs> but the, the FBI has occupied the 23rd floor of the E-Corp building. And so that's where she is now. I remember when she was doing um, the field trip out to Romero's place and she was instructing the detective there to like take an antibiotic and stop infecting uh, his co-workers. Here as well, she seems like she's very kind of, um, she, she's like on top of things. She notices when there are intruders in the office and I think that it just goes to show that she's like very competent and she knows what she's doing. I feel like you brought that up just because I'm terribly sick and in the same room as you. <laughs> because, uh, well, people will tell you laughter is the best medicine, but it might be penicillin. Uh, Don might be onto something there. One piece that's really interesting about this scene is there's another agent who tells Dom about their dream. 
And I bet there's a lot of symbolism in there. Well, it's funny because usually when people tell you their dreams, it's like a very hacky plot device <laughs> and it's very boring. Um, but the part that's interesting here is uh, they say to Dom, you don't dream, do you? And she says, well, never interested me. <laughs> that's a very dumb thing to say. It's such a dumb thing to say because Dom seems to have this very singular focus. But for me, it calls back, if we look back to the last episode where Leon instructed Elliot to go away and dream about the future that he thought was worth fighting for. Oh, that's an interesting parallel. Well, it's interesting to me that, because I, I imagine Dom has a clear vision of the future she thinks is worth fighting for, but dreaming is not the route that she uses to get at it. That's a great way to look at it. Another detail in the scene that's kind of important but easy to overlook is that um, you see that they are also surveilling uh, Joanna Wellick. So I think that that may be because they're trying to track down Tyrell or maybe some, uh, somebody else involved in the 5-9 hack, but it goes to show you that like, even she is under surveillance. I didn't catch that, actually. She just appears on like a screen for a brief second or on a document or something like that. There's so much uh, of that like in the little cutaways and things that is easy to miss, but I'm glad you picked up on that particular detail. Yeah, I wish I had more specific details, but I just wrote Joanna is under FBI surveillance. <laughs> um, the other piece that's established here is the FBI is going on a little field trip and they are going to China. So a lot of quick cuts in this episode. Now we're back with Elliot and Darlene. This is kind of a continuation of the earlier episode with Angela and Darlene because um, uh, I, I think we had said earlier that Angela accepts, actually, but she kind of uh, has some hesitation. Darlene had to go see Elliot and try and get her to convince Angela to accept this plan to actually go along with it. Darlene is calling on Elliot to involve her. He doesn't want to do it, but both Darlene and Mr. Robot say that Angela is critical to this. And of course, because she has physical access that they could not ever hope to have. So Mr. Robot agrees. Um, that it's necessary, and I think Elliot gets outvoted on this one. So we're cutting to a different scene here. So this is the FBI in China, and uh, B.D. Wong, who's presenting here as Minister Zhang, um, he is there to greet them, and a bunch of media cameras. There's a lot of coverage of this very public visit from the FBI all the way from America. It's a pretty big deal, and... Um... It's pretty beady. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, well, one reason it's a really big deal is that this is the first time where Dom is introduced to Minister Zhang, which I, I think I'm mispronouncing. So I'm sorry I think we're that. both mispronouncing it differently, and we do apologize. Yeah, I'm just incredibly uncultured, so you're going to need to work with me here. But um, one thing that's worth mentioning is that um, B.D. Wong's character is kind of like, they occasionally present as male, they occasionally present as female. Just, so just to be clear about it, we will use masculine feminine pronouns to refer to them depending on how they're presenting. Exactly. So when we see B.D. Wong presenting as Minister Zhang, uh, we're going to use he, him pronouns. And when we see B.D. Wong as White Rose, we'll use feminine pronouns. And that's to help us, because you don't know the visual cues, of course, in this podcast, to keep uh, straight what's happening in the scene. Yeah. So I guess like the substance of this scene, um, the FBI is collaborating with China to investigate the 5-9 hack. I think that Dom kind of speaks out of line a bit here. She makes some very big requests from Minister Zhang, and um, he, he hesitates a bit, but he does ultimately comply with each of their requests, which I think is intended to be like a, a show of goodwill. And in fact, he also invites them to a party later. At precisely 9 o'clock. <laughs> I'm already imagining the watch beeping at that time. Beep, beep. I, think, <laughs> I think one thing, um, a bit of an Easter egg here, maybe, maybe intentional, maybe not, they say that the party is to celebrate our collaborative effort, 
And overtly, that is intended to refer to the FBI and China working together. But there is also the subtext that Minister Zheng is kind of playing both sides of the game here. Because another collaborative effort that they were a part of is um, the Five Night Hack itself. Uh, F Society and the Dark Army collaborated in that attack. And the most sensitive subject, and where Dom is almost most out of line here, is they don't have any problem giving them access until Dom asks for the Dark Army intelligence that they have. I think that that is when Zen kind of notices that they might be starting to catch on to them. So we're going to move into the Joanna Wellick storyline for a moment here. She receives something interesting in the mail. This is uh, just another gift that she's gotten, I guess. It's been a few of them now. I feel like... I wish, I mean, all the gifts I get in the mail I've ordered from subscription services, so uh, she gets a lot of mail. <laughs> this particular package contains a metal rattle. Very bizarre. Uh, yeah, it's a super age-appropriate toy for her child. <laughs> um, and of course, that leads to some curiosity, right? What on earth uh, is someone anonymously sending a metal rattle for? So she gets Sutherland on the case. And he tries to track it down. I have a bit of an affection for the Sutherland character. He's also in House of Cards, isn't he? Oh, I can't recall. Yes. He is. <laughs> well, that's been confirmed for me. <laughs> um, all Sutherland is able to tell her is that the package was mailed from Midtown, so he's still working on details of that. But Sutherland, uh, an interesting feature of him is he has a really unquestioning loyalty to the Wellicks, and Joanna has asked him to do a terrible thing. Yeah, it's, it's quite terrible. In fact, um, I was watch I'm a bit of a procrastinator, so I was watching this episode on the train on the way to this recording, and I felt incredibly sketchy watching this scene on public transit. I had to like turn my screen away so people didn't think I was a psychopath, because this was probably the most terrifying scene that has ever happened in the show so far. Which, there are a lot of strong contenders for terrifying scenes in this series, but what Joanna has asked Sutherland to do is to kill Kareem. And not just kill him, but also injects him with a paralytic agent, and then after that, he stages a home invasion and executes him. Well, and it's interesting, they match the M.O. to um, someone who's formerly been convicted of crimes who lives on the same floor of Kareem's apartment building, so they think he's, you know, an obvious decoy to take attention off of them. Joanna wants to know details of the killing, so she says, did he look at you? Yeah, she really wants to know all the details. She thought it was important to paralyze him first because she says that killing a man instantly robs him of information and that people deserve to know why their life ended. Because otherwise you're just ruthless murderers. And I think that as those words leave her lips, even Mr. Sutherland kind of has some doubts about her evaluation of herself. So now we see Angela, and unfortunately we see once again it is um, stupid Ollie. Uh, every time I think we're done with him, we're not. And he's got like a terrible new haircut, <laughs> and I hate everything about him, always. So it seems like he has at least one ulterior motive for this meeting. They're at their, their regular bar they used to hang out at. Um, he says he misses her, and then he produces <laughs> his resume. I thought that was hilarious. And another thing I thought was hilarious is that when he says he misses her, she just says thanks. Like, she doesn't reciprocate. She's just like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They do, I would say, there are a, a lot of little tangents in this conversation. Um, they, they bring up the idea of 5-9 truthers. Yeah, that's obviously a, a real-world parallel. So that's a movement that's out there. Um, but Ollie, it's funny because we were talking offline about, you know, he's so transparent even when he's trying to be so slick. 
because the next question in this awkward conversation with his ex-fiance mm -hmm. is, you know, oh, do you think the CD had anything to do with that? You know, just this small talk about the CD. Just wondering, just curious. And Angela, who is just like an expert player of the game at this point, she does see right through him right away, and she notices that he's trying to record her to get some evidence to kind of defer blame away from him. Because if we remember, Angela used his ID to frame him when she inserted that CD. Right, but she, in fact, was the person who did insert it. His phone is on the table. It's on the table until she throws it in the drink. <laughs> I wish she had at that point also then thrown that drink in his face <laughs> with the phone in it. But we never get that satisfaction. We do learn that he has talked to the FBI, though, and he did tell them about Cisco. And worse yet, they've made a, a pretty compelling facial composite, I think is what it's called, of um, Cisco's face. Yeah, a, a facial composite of his face, as, he, as I said. Yeah, <laughs> as one does. <laughs> Angela, there's nothing, there's no winning in this conversation for her. She leaves the bar. So uh, we're back in China. The, the first note that I have for this scene is just racist FBI agent. Yeah, my notes say one FBI agent says they're savages. And we're, they're in like a mansion. <laughs> like the middle of a fantastic palace. He's, this is kind of funny because we won't spend too much time on racist FBI agent. But he says, do you think they'll have General So's chicken? I don't think they do. No, Dom's like, no, I don't think they have that here because if you've seen the Netflix documentary, Searching for General So, that's actually American Chinese food. That's not a Chinese China thing. And also long noodles were invented by Mongolians, not the Italians. Wow. So interesting. So anyway, they don't have long noodles uh, or General So's chicken. They yeah. don't have any of that. So this guy is super <laughs> disappointed. Yeah. Okay, we're getting a little bit sidetracked with the racist FBI agent. So. And there's lots to unpack in this scene. There's lots. And um, what I love seeing is Dom. Dom always has this sort of awkwardness about her for all her sophistication. So she's like clomping around the house in these heels. <laughs> you can tell she wears twice a year for parties. And she finds a room full of clocks. Just a load of clocks. A load of clogs and Zhang is behind her. <laughs> um, I, I was trying to figure out if there was any kind of symbolism to be had in the time on the clocks. I think it was like 11.50. No, I mean, it is maybe right before the start of a new day, perhaps. That might be the only thing I would take away from that. The show just has so much symbolism that sometimes I feel like I'm reaching for it in some places where it doesn't exist. Although, I mean, because viewers of this show are very smart, I think that also the people producing it know they have to be very deliberate yeah. because we're all searching for meaning and everything that's presented to us. Like this next part where Zhang actually, he um, launches into a monologue from Macbeth versus life is but a walking shadow. And so this, um, one of my pet theories, of course, is that the Wellicks represent the Macbeths. And so it makes me wonder if we're being set up for more of a tie-in between Tyrell and all of the things that Zhang White Rose have their hands in. Um, Zhang says that they have all of the clocks um, as a reminder of their mortality. After this, I think that he takes her on a tour of his sister's bedroom. Well, yeah, he's giving her kind of a full tour of the parts of the house that aren't accessible to the party, and he shows her a closet of very beautiful dresses. So. Uh, hand-embroidered, luxurious fabrics. He says that they belong to his sister. <laughs> right, but of course, as viewers, we notice that um, these are the clothes that he wears when he presents his white robe. Exactly, and so that's something he's not prepared to disclose to Dom at this point. But he is showing them to her, so there's something that lets him feel like he can be a bit vulnerable to her, I think. He also asks a lot of very kind of 
probing personal questions. It's true because he asks Dom why she joined the FBI. She says that it's as a result of um, a, a relationship that ended where or her partner had proposed to her and she just, uh, I guess, ran screaming and into <laughs> a life of public service. I guess that some people do. <laughs> I guess that's legit. Um, so it's getting very personal and kind of intense. And then all of the clocks chime in unison in the house. And that, Zhang is really rattled for some reason and says that he must go. Um, one kind of, uh, another parallel that I thought occurred in this scene, it reminded me a lot of um, Jodie Foster in The Silence of the Lambs because both Dom and um, Claire Starling, I think is the character's name in Silence of the Lambs, they both kind of have a short monologue about how they grew up from like a, a small city in New Jersey and now they work as FBI agents. The other piece that I, I think stood out to me is there's one point where Zhang asks Dom if she believes in the possibility of alternate realities. And that's a possibility that Zhang says moves him deeply. And I wonder, again, because we have so many questions in the show about um, different perceptions of reality and what's true and what isn't, whether there's a broader inference to, you know, or, or does Zhang feel that he inhabits multiple realities <laughs> at once? So I like that open question being put there right before we break the scene. I think it's interesting that you were able to take so much from um, that statement because when I was listening to it, I was just thinking like, Oh, great. Now the host is talking about alternate realities. This is the worst party that I've ever been to. <laughs> so once again, we're back at um, Elliot's place. Earlier, he was visited by Darlene because Darlene was trying to convince him to get Angela on board. And now it's Angela who's visiting him, and she has decided to go forward with this hack on the FBI. She needs his buy-in to do it. She, I think her confidence is a little shaky, but if Elliot believes that she can, she trusts him enough to carry it out. And um, we should clarify that the motivation for this attack is kind of to clear up any maybe uh, residual evidence of their involvement in the 5-9 attack. There's a kind of touching scene here where Angela asks why he wouldn't see her. And he says that he wanted to be better before he saw her. Because remember, the last time they saw each other is when she found him in the cemetery at his dead father's gravesite. Oh yeah, it's actually been quite a while, I guess. Scared out of his mind, right? Yeah. But uh, there's, and again, following on the heartwarming part of this, he says, how's QWERTY? And she says, good. I love QWERTY. But he's getting fat because she overfeeds her. <laughs> Obviously, we're from the same school of pet feeding. So uh, kind of a nice close. And then also, I guess we see that stage two is going forward. So let's see what Darlene's doing. Uh, Darlene, who is, I don't know, is who's still my favorite character. She's a great character. Yeah. So she's with... We're going to call him uh, bro number one. <laughs> well, it's interesting because now they're starting to incorporate these other activists that are kind of hovering around. So she tells him that she's promoting him to lead the DC op and she needs him to act like a leader. Very short scene now because they don't really talk about what the DC op is. We just know that this guy's going to be responsible for it. So let's step back into the Elliot storyline. So Elliot, um, he's with the old system admin, RT, and RT is still pretty badly beaten up. Yeah, it doesn't look like he's doing so well. And there, of course, uh, Henchman 1 is there. So they're having a, a private conversation in Notepad. It's pretty ingenuitive. I didn't know Notepad had any actual use, so now that I see what it's for. Well, if you're ever like under duress moving websites around, now you know. Now I know. This, so the, they're talking a bit about the mechanics too of what Elliot needs to do. So this is a Tor hidden site. 
Yeah, actually, everything about this is technically accurate. I was saying earlier that he was using um, the Nginx web server in Tor to make a hidden service that you could access over uh, the darknet. Um, he also uses uh, PuTTY, like an SSH program, to be able to connect to the servers. And to copy it over, he uses tar to make an archive of the site and then untar it and unarchive it on the new site. I think here we see, we had a hunch that there was a parallel here, but when he types in the username Dread Pirate Roberts, we see a really obvious parallel to the Silk Road. Yeah, I think that this is intended to be a very direct reference to the Silk Road. Uh, do you want to explain that a little bit more? I will explain a little bit. So Russ Albrecht, that's the name, yes? Yep. Is the Was the architect behind the Silk Road. And so the Silk Road, the parallel between this and Ray's work is so interesting where began as kind of a libertarian project to give people access to, I believe, uh, very low-level drugs, marijuana, mushrooms. Literally like anything, where that was really what pe most people ended up selling on it. Right, and then it kind of grew out of control in a way to feature some of the things that we see Ray's site is also featuring, so guns, uh, human trafficking, um, it all grew very out of control very fast. There's actually a really good book I'm not doing justice to called American Kingpin that was released in the last couple of years about the path of Silk Road. Yeah, that's a really good book by um, Nick Bilton, so I think we need to give that a plug. One thing worth mentioning, though, Silk Road, it did never have guns or anything on it. Oh, okay, I apologize. Yeah, no, people, people always said that. They think it was kind of a mischaracterization of the site, but there were other ones where you could buy stuff like that. So it's not like it didn't exist. Well, because there was a kind of a copycat phenomenon around it once it was established, right? There are still very many uh, darknet markets, is what they're called, that are online. Right. So I apologize for the unfair characterization <laughs> of Silk Road. Thank so. you for clarifying our characterization of this online bug den. <laughs> Um, now, no promote. Oh my God! Before I dig my hole any deeper, maybe we should just move back into the episode. Yeah, of course, he served many years in jail. You can take that as a warning for whatever it's worth. Let's get back into it, though. There's, um, there's a kind of a question about whether Ray knows. Um, yeah, I think that Elliot describes it as Ray's two halves. And there's a mention of if-then conditional programming. Does yeah. that link to that? Yeah, well, that's a bit of a buzzword. This is a reference to the fact that in programming, very often you kind of have uh, to branch off in two different code paths depending on a certain condition. I think it's actually kind of worth tying us back into the discussion about Tor, though, because in a way, um, like we've, we've suggested people donate to Tor as a charity before. And I think that it's worth mentioning that anything like that also has two halves. It's kind of like a tool that you can use for good or for evil. Of course, because like anything that is open, you know, it uh, depends on humans to act uh, in their best nature to use it for the purposes of good and not for race purposes. <laughs> not for race purposes. Um, that That is our caution to you. <laughs> um, or, well, or for that matter, the purposes used by the owner of Ron's Coffee. And there's <laughs> kind of a parallel yeah, setup Yeah, I guess they don't, they don't really show you the other side of it in this show. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, when Elliot's thinking about whether he can destroy Ray, what Mr. Robot is saying to him is, you know, this is not some coffee shop owner. This is a way more sophisticated, potentially dangerous situation. Elliot wants to help, but Mr. Robot, given all the challenges Elliot has in front of him, is saying, you know, we have other battles right now. You know, you can't fight every fight. Can't hug every cat. This is, there's a little piece left of the Joanna storyline for this episode. We didn't forget about it earlier or anything. 
We never do. <laughs> we never forget the little snippets that occur and reoccur. Um, she gets a call on the phone that came attached to the music box. And it's just heavy breathing. Yeah, she really has no idea what to think. And I think that maybe it's just um, showing her desperation that she thinks that it's Tyro on the other line. Um, I didn't really understand this, so it could be completely wrong myself, but the way I understood it as going down was that um, she heard an ambulance siren on the phone, and then she also heard it outside, so she was able to tell that uh, whoever was making this call was nearby. She ran out to try and catch them, but she didn't end up uh, meeting them in time. I think it is a moment of desperation and confusion for her, and we're used to seeing her so in control Yeah, it's a bit jarring. Yeah, uh, this is really a scene that kind of goes to show you um, the situation that Joanna's dealing with. She's really distraught right now, really. So let's wrap up the Angela storyline. I like this because it's like a bit of a spy movie montage for her. She gets into a series of cabs. She takes a sort of circuitous route. She gets on the subway. Also, her hair is curly again, which it hasn't been since she was good, Angela. I didn't notice that. I think I'm making too much of her hairstyle, but uh, maybe because we have a very similar hairstyle. <laughs> So she arrives at the Susan Jacobs house, so that's the new F Society headquarters. Darlene is inside. We're back with Dom in China now. She's meeting with her uh, colleague. Did you actually catch what her name is? Because I didn't. The colleague? No, I didn't. We can just call them colleague one, I guess. Colleague one. <laughs> They're talking about the party the night before. It seems like Dom was a little hungover. Yeah, she's a little worse for wear. She's retelling the story of Zhang showing her the closet of dresses that he said belonged to his sister. And she's like a step ahead of him because I think that she already knows that he doesn't have a sister. So whose dresses are these? Good question. But we don't have time to answer that because all of a sudden a bunch of masked, armed people storm the hotel and they start shooting. This was an incredibly intense scene. It kind of came out of nowhere. And I love, I mean, this show is so good about the plot twist that it does because I think we expect that they're just going to kill everyone in the place. But it's not as predictable as that because, of course, it's Mr. Robot. Dom grabs a gun for one of the assassins who themselves get shot and killed, and she's crouching behind a corner. One of the assassins comes towards her, but instead of actually shooting Dom, which they have every opportunity to do, they actually take their gun and shoot themselves in the head. That really raises so many questions, but... The scene kind of ends just as abruptly as it begins, without any real resolution at all. There's actually one more thing we should mention about that scene before we move into the last scene of the episode, because they get a call from APIO. I have no idea what that is. It's government. The acronyms never make sense. But they've called about the Raspberry Pi. And it seems like it's not going to be viable evidence because somebody has already smeared their fingerprints on it. So that's kind of a roadblock for Dom's investigation. Exactly. So that, even though they uncovered the actual hardware from the steel Mountain Valley hack, they don't have any prints they can use. There's no information on it. And unfortunately, um, I think this is the last scene with that colleague one in it. Sorry, colleague one. R.I.P. All right. So last scene in the episode, we're going to close this off with Elliot. So uh, a band of hired goons. Hired goons. <laughs> They come and they, uh, it's so funny to laugh because the scene is so horrifying. They just, they rip him out of bed. They brought him RT's rat tail. That was disgusting. It's so disgusting. I mean, it's disgusting that he had a rat tail, but it's also really <laughs> disgusting they cut it out of his head and brought it to Elliot. So I guess that kind of shows what the stakes are when he's working with Ray. What we see is that the hired goons, they start to deliver a pretty vicious beating to Elliot. 
we just hear the sounds of it or spared the actual visuals and that's how the episode ends thanks for listening to mr rewatch this episode was recorded in downtown hamilton if you enjoyed this episode of Mr. Rewatch, we'd ask you to consider donating to the ACLU. That's the American Civil Liberties Union at aclu.org. I'm Aaron. I'm Devlin. Bonsoir.